0: well hello i am that Weems guy here for first person safety joining me again today is john hearn and he has a company name that he'll be announcing here shortly and talking about uh, john is here today for two reasons the first reason is that he is trailing eric dale House two to one in the number of appearances so he has to tie that up and the second the internet has been working extremely well lately and john needs to break it so uh, with that john introduce yourself and uh Tell everybody about your new company name. And, John, I'm getting audio feedback.
1: Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is John Hearn. Uh, I am now the proud owner of a company called Two Pillars Training. That's not Two Pillows Training, but uh, Two Pillars Training. Um, I've been a long-time instructor for about 20 years, uh, working with other folks, teaching at work, that sort of thing. Uh, speaking at national conferences. So uh, it's, it's a hope that maybe in five years, I can be an overnight success in the uh, training business. All
0: right, excellent. Uh, tell them what, what, how did the name two pillars come about?
1: Uh, I like to think that I combine two things. So the first pillar is what is peer reviewed scientific research. Uh, uh, as somebody wisely pointed out, I'm one of the few adults he you knows that actually has a library card. So uh, I'm not afraid to go to the university library, start digging through articles, periodicals, dig out the most current applicable research to the problems we're trying to solve. So the first pillar is that peer reviewed scientific research. Uh, The second pillar is real world best practices. Uh, We're not talking about pulling stuff out of um, our dark places. We're talking about looking at what we do personally, what people smarter than us do, what successful people do in the real world. And whenever possible, bringing those two things together To uh, develop a solid product, so you know, I basically right now I think my uh, I have a cool logo that uh, will be floating around the internet, but you know, it's uh, basically a stack of books next to a pistol between two pillars. So that's the idea: is to combine those two worlds—the academic world as well as the real world—and see what we get. Uh,
0: Excellent. As a uh, academic type of guy myself, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I don't like the statistics and research as much as you do, though. All right. John, it is time to break the internet. Uh, Sorry, ready for your question? Sure. Do we shoot too much in shooting so classes?
1: So that's a, that's a really interesting topic and it gets into a multitude of strengths we can take. You know, one of my favorite kind of uh, pariahs to take on issues is a lot of people in the training industry will sell people what they want and not what they need. And, you know, I guess if you just have this, mode that you're just here to make as much money as possible that's all well and good but if you're actually out to serve people at some point you need to kind of raise your hand and go look i know that's what all the cool guys are doing but this is probably more applicable to your world so one of the things i've observed um like i said i've been doing this for over 20 years now is that um before the ammo crisis people would literally rate classes how good they were based on how many rounds they fired And there was no consideration as to whether they actually learned anything with those rounds, or if you could have learned that exact same thing with half that round expenditure. And I have worked in a resource austere environment, I guess would be the cool guy way of saying it for a long time. So I've also been tasked with how do I get the training my people need uh, in the most economical way possible. And I hate to say I developed a formula, but for lack of a better word, I think I have kind of developed a formula, for instance, teaching... um, ongoing law enforcement officers rifle training. Um, You would think that somebody that's been through multiple hours of training at the academy and stuff like that would know how to load and unload a rifle or how to prep it for cruiser carry. And you're laughingly, because this is the case. So uh, I've started out my classes where we'll literally, um, initially I uh, was using, uh, I was taking the guts out of magazines. And then I found the great tap rack training aids that Bill Rogers designed. And we'll literally spend an hour at the start of a class with their rifle, no ammunition, and we will just work through the basic manipulations that you have to have to be able to use that rifle. And if you teach a broad range of students as far as skill levels and stuff like that, there've been several times that I found out after the fact that yeah, that person hadn't, t- hadn't touched a rifle for 10 years. And we're really glad you took the time to go over that stuff. And, and again, you know, whether you're a law enforcement officer or just the armed citizen, being able to put the gun in a proper storage mode is a huge skill. Um, I'm married. Uh, last time I checked, you're married. Uh, we know one of the fundamental rules of marriage is if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if you lack the basic skills to set the gun up for carry and you let a shotgun round go, you let a, a rifle round go in the house, that is the hallmark. That's the epitome of mama not being happy. So sometimes you people get people grumbling about the extensive manipulations, but if you think about it pragmatically, there's a lot of good reasons for it. Um, if we transition that to the armed citizen world, um, you know, we all talk about Gary Kleck's research on how many defensive gun uses there are every year. Well, one of the things that everybody kind of glosses over when you look at his work is that the gun is rarely fired in those defensive gun uses. Generally, uh, displaying the gun is enough. Uh, I was digging through my copy of Point Blank, which is somewhere over my shoulder back right here, And as best he could figure out when he wrote that book, only about 2% of defensive gun uses actually involve the gun being fired, uh, the suspect being either killed or wounded enough to show up at the uh, hospital. So actual shooting of suspects is fairly rare. So, you know, things such as making sure the gun can be loaded and unloaded safely, being able to present the gun Quickly and effectively. I mean, I think our friend Tom Gibbons has made that point that if you draw the gun like you know what you're doing, you can avoid a lot of this. So I think that if you make sure the manipulations are understood at the beginning of the class, uh, it helps tremendously. The other uh, consideration we have to, you know, put ourselves back in and kind of into that novice mind, is that shooting well is not a natural act. And generally, I hate to you know be fun of this, but the, the louder, the bangier. The gun is, and you know, rifles are definitely bangier than and, than pistols, and shotguns are certainly bangier. That adds a level of intimidation that other people aren't used to dealing with. Uh, a great example of this happened um, in the short range carving class I taught out at uh, uh, Lovely Meat Hall Shooting Range. It was just a very basic carving class, and I had a wide range of shooters in there. Uh, one of the uh, shooters was a uh, highly skilled, uh, I'll shout out to Warren Wilson here. Uh, He had the fastest snapshot at distance, you know, very, very, as much as this pains me to admit, a very solid, competent shooter. Well, he'd also brought to this class his father-in-law and his son-in-law, and they had zero time with the AR platform. And one of the hallmarks of my classes, especially that level class, if you don't fire a live round until halfway through the first day, we literally spend the first part of the morning going through load, unload, prep for cruiser carry literally go retrieve your rifle from the line, um, get it loaded and uh, deliver a, a dry snapshot. And then we'll also work all those snapshots dry, making sure all the manipulations are taking place before the uh, ammunition is introduced. That you know, from a variety of ways helps because number one, they can master the skills they're gonna need to be successful when there is ammo in the gun first, without a lot of distraction. And not that it's ever acceptable to point rifles and live firearms at people, But knowing that the rifles have been cleared, that you've got the tap rack training aids, that gives you an extra margin of safety when you're dealing with people for whom that particular tool is new to them and they're struggling to learn it. So, um, yeah, I think that we sometimes shoot too much in shooting classes. I think that we start shooting too soon in shooting classes, and it creates a bunch of problems that are best solved by holding off on the actual, you know, loud, obnoxious part of that process and developing the skills just to manipulate the weapons first.
0: Uh,
1: Did I blow up the internet?
0: No, 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 no. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, uh, John, I'm still getting the audio feedback when I'm speaking. All right. All right, we're good to go now? I'm still getting it. getting. (laughs) I would say that I agree very much. Uh, I do something very similar with shotguns and that I bring dummy rounds to the shotgun classes. And we spend the first half of the class doing all of the loading drills, unloading drills, reloading drills, et cetera, with the dummy rounds. And then after lunch, we go back and we do all of that again with with the live rounds. And that gives you twice the repetition repetitions for half the ammo. Now, I'm um, not being a bit hard-hearted and I know that shocks you in the law enforcement world. And that, in my opinion, if you don't know how to properly load your shotgun or load your car being to load your pistol, I don't care what your score is on the course. You're not qualified to carry it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those things that, you know, uh, one of the problems with various levels of confidence, you know, like when we talk about unconscious confidence, uh, a lot of people have classically defined that the kind of way the Supreme court, you know, um, Defined pornography which is we'll know it when we see it and if i want to figure out whether someone is confident with that gun it's a weapon handling much more than how well they hit with the gun that's going to tell me how clued in this person is you know if you're working with a, a fairly low level class you know something as you know simple as when somebody can reliably lock back the slide tells you a lot about that person's basic skill level and again if you're you know um I used dummy rounds for a while, but uh, I I resulted to the tap racks for a variety of reasons. Number one, they're cheaper. Um, You know, I I believe in them so much that when you take a class with me, I'll I'll give you a cup, you know, I'll take home with you because you need these to practice. Uh, It also reduces a a potential point of failure because if there's something going in and out of the gun, there's absolutely no way a live round can get introduced. So I I agree with you completely on that point.
0: Yeah, it's also a great way to, you know, practice doing those things i'm going to speak again from shotgun context Uh, you don't have to go to the range to practice all of the techniques you can do it in the house with dummy rounds you know we talk about dry fire all the time that's something that you can do on your own as a private citizen is just doing all those manipulations at home you know with something like a tap rack or with dummy rounds Uh, for the law enforcement trainers that are listening to us out there this is a very low-cost training it's something that you can do in the squad room
1: and yeah and sure. also yeah if you're in the um law enforcement world buy them direct from safari land in a uh, hundred quantities because they're ridiculously cheap when you do it that way there's no excuse not to give those things out when you're buying them by the hundreds
0: yeah i, I bought a bunch of them myself as well as dummy rounds and all of the standard pistol calibers uh the tap racks and the pistol calibers and the and the for the carbines and i keep them in a ziploc bag in my range bag. and say sometimes i'm working with other instructors uh one will have one relay on the line working, you know, drills or whatever. I take the rest of the other relay to another part of the range and I, you know, have them empty a mag and we do, you know, with the with the tap rack devices, load, reloads, et cetera. And that's, we can work that so that nobody's just standing around with nothing to do at the range. We're getting maximum training time uh, for the contact hours that we have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, in a, you know, when we start talking about limited resources, such as ammo and stuff like that, you know, at a certain point, you need to figure out what do I really need ammo for to teach, which is a very, very small portion of what we're trying to do versus what do I just need the, uh, the gun to be able to cycle normally, which is, you know, you can accomplish that with dummy rounds or tap racks.
0: Right. All right. Um, you mentioned Gary Kleck's book. He uh, is, I believe, a retired professor from Florida State Criminology Department.
1: Yeah, he was uh, very big in the 90s. Uh, I actually was able to, I did an independent study on him in graduate school on that book because it was really earth shattering at the time. He was the first left-leaning academic to really question the wisdom of gun control in this nation. Uh, He was the first one to really go out there and do surveys on the public because we'd always suspected there were a lot of self-defense gun uses. He called them defensive gun uses or DGUs but we had never quantified it. And that's where a lot of that number that you still see floating around about two and a half million defensive gun uses every year. That all comes directly out of Kleck's work. All
0: right. And that is K-E-K-L-E-C-K,
1: isn't it? Yeah, Gary Kleck, K-L-E-C-K. All right.
0: Uh, you also mentioned Warren Wilson when you were talking about your uh, carbine class. Didn't he write a review of that class on Police One?
1: Uh, yeah, there's, a, I guess there's a, I, I need to work on my shameless plugging, but yeah, there was a re- nice review uh, written by him uh, that, uh, you can find on police one.com. Uh, I would assume you have to search my, my name or something like that and it would pop up, but he talks about the, he, uh, he went, uh, he initially only showed up and his plan was to go through one class. And, uh, he really quickly realized that he would learn more hanging out with me for two more days. than I guess fishing at the lake, which had been his original plan. And, uh, again, you know, just being able to take people beyond what they were expecting, uh, made me really happy.
0: There you go. So if you want to read a review of John's class, uh, the short range carbine class, uh, you can find it on police on one form. and he what were the other classes that he reviewed
1: uh he reviewed the uh who wins, who loses, and why lecture uh and as well as the cognitive pistol class, which was that was actually the uh really the second public offering of that class
0: okay cool uh all of those classes That's will be announced on the two pillars, pillars web page second. when this up and running.
1: Yes, it'll be twopillarstraining.com. I already have their URL reserved for anybody going out there and trying to buy it real quick, so I have to buy it for $5,000. I just have to have the time to, to put it up. And I would point out, is, uh, if we're going to shamelessly self-promote, is that uh, that class, the next offering of it is in Arkansas, and it is already sold out. So the first three offerings have all sold out. Um, the next offering after that is in Memphis. Uh, it's got three seats left in it. And it'll be in boondocks offered in October. And it's only got two seats in it. So I think I've tapped into something new and different. Uh, the fact that I'm already getting repeat customers in the same years uh, tells me that people have, are learning something or have low standards.
0: Or either or they just I want to see how bad up, you can mess it up, mess it up again. Up. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, that, that is always a possibility.
0: All right, John, I'm John hearing the, uh, feedback the feedback in the background. Yeah, again.
1: yeah dude, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I can't, for whatever reason, I'm failing at the Zoom operation. I cannot. um <laughs> reduce your volume oh hold on hold on. let me see here oh, it's got a separate one all right say something again now
0: testing testing
1: and I, I completely muted you way too much but apparently there's a separate audio setting for zoom that was not handled by the microphone all and right
0: there you to- are it took two guys with master's degrees how long to figure that out
1: yeah well a uh, tricky zoom it is all right well actually we, what happens when you don't have tiffany johnson to hold your hand
0: actually you didn't figure it out because i still hear me coming through your speakers bizarre all right um let's discuss the dustin solomon stuff the building shooters that we were talking about earlier
1: uh, i'm sorry discuss what
0: the dustin solomon building shooters. yeah so
1: um you know for those that don't know dustin solomon uh arguably out nerds me Uh, i would say my nerddom is kind of more broad i handle a lot of different areas dustin solomon has written a series of books starting with building shooters mentoring shooters uh with his second book he's got two books on training errors and he's got one on hitting and combat that i just started but uh he's dug very deeply into the neurology of teaching people to shoot um at, at the risk of telling him his story you know he was in the navy he was tasked uh, immediately post nine eleven with getting everybody on the boat ready to carry, you know, uh, sidearms, uh, all the small arms on the ship, and they quickly realized that nobody knew how to unload and load these guns because they were always under the control of another person. So he set up a program, and he felt really jipped because he didn't have all this cool stuff. So he literally, I think, set up eight one hour training sessions where everything was dry, and. Uh, he had pretty good success with that. And later on, he'd be put in charge of a, a bigger program where he had a lot of the whiz bang, extra ammo, range time and stuff like that. And he was amazed that he could not turn out any better students uh, with all the cool extra ammo and extra ranges as he could with just a basic, um, you know, dry practice program. So he uh, started that kicked off his curiosity and he's been digging into that pretty good. You know, he's uh, terribly pessimistic as far as what you can actually teach people in a day. Uh, I think, but I think you can certainly look at his work and try to figure out how you as an instructor can take what he's figured out about how the human mind works and make your training better.
0: Uh, Yeah, I've read several of his books and I've implemented some of that. And because I have the institutional opportunity of having repeated contact with people and like I I run a program for our jail staff that are being prepared to go to the police academy. And I have you know, taken the lessons from his book and I do now I do an orientation session that is with tap rack devices, with dummy rounds, et cetera, that we do in a classroom. And there's lessons on locking the slide back, loading and unloading, et cetera, that we're not doing with any live rounds to intimidate anyone. And we do all of that before we go to their first range session. So they've had all of that exposure before they're even handling the, the live weapons.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, people, because it's I guess kind of unconventional, people just discount it. But you know, I've uh, as a token of success, I've, I've uh, taught short range carbine at TACON on short notice when other instructors have, have bailed out, um, some for legitimate reasons, some for you know uh, non legitimate reasons. But uh, everybody that takes that class uh, is amazed when I can take in, them through in four hours. But a big part of what they learn in that four hours, most of the learning takes place in that hour hour and a half before they have ammo in the gun because again especially for the novice shooter the explosion the noise the 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 compression wave all that stuff distracts them from learning and i'm firmly convinced that they have to understand how to manipulate the gun before it starts to intimidate them And i think the dummy rounds the tap racks are a great way to demystify the gun make it far less intimidating make them comfortable with it before you add live ammo to the equation
0: yeah, I believe uh, Bill Rogers, uh, the Rogers Shooting School, wrote in his book where, you know, it's the the big explosion that's taking place in front of people's faces that causes people to start flinching. And uh, one of the things that they would do if they had a student who was having a problem with that was they would have them shoot a twenty-two while wearing a gas mask. And it dampened the uh, explosion in front of Well,
1: it just, you know, I think everybody that's watching this has had that glaucoma test for their eyes where they blow the air into your eye. I mean. What percent of the population enjoys that? That would be zero. Nobody likes that. Well, that's in effect what you're doing when you're shooting the gun. You're getting that same compression wave going into your eyes. And it's, it's very distracting uh, to try to be learning that uh, while everything else is going on. So that's why separating the manipulation learning from the shooting learning can be so valuable.
0: Uh, is there anything that, that you can take from the Dustin Solomon books that uh, may be applicable to private sector trainers that don't have the repeated access to people?
1: So I think they're you know so again it's a matter of giving people what they want versus what they need. I think that if you read his work, uh, you can go to courses where it's kind of like a smorgasbord of material. Somebody will take you from never having fired around to clearing double feeds with just your support hand in two days. Now you can walk somebody through that, but the issue is going to be is what will they retain in a month or two months from now? So I think one of the big takeaways from uh, Solomon's work is. To um, is twofold. Number one, be be realistic about what you can do. I think you really have to consider the audience you have. If you have people that are relatively new to the gun, you have to limit yourself to what you can reasonably teach them in the timeframe. I think it also does you a favor if you are going to do quote unquote advanced stuff that there is actually, you have a student body that's capable of doing that. I think we've all seen the same situation where you know you see the same student every year and they haven't gotten any better in between the last time. And, you know, I make it a point in everything I teach is that I try to tell people how you practice this stuff um, off. And if your instructors aren't teaching people how to train themselves after the class, I think they're doing a great disservice to the students. So I would say one of the takeaways I get from Solomon's work is you have to, um, there's a certain number of repetitions you have to have to get good at this stuff. There's no way, I don't care how good you are, there's not enough time in two days to get those repetitions. So they're going to have to get them on their own And a good instructor will teach them how to do that.
0: I think that also makes a case for that. Uh, An instructor's got to have that knowledge of how to build those motor programs like we discussed in a previous video. And they actually have to be able to diagnose and correct issues in a shooter so that they are coaching the shooter on how to practice the correct techniques.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, one of the problems you have is you have guys that have very limited diagnostic training, so they just simply break out the chart and say, hey, if he's, you know, shanking rounds to 7 o'clock on a right-handed shooter, he's got to be flinching. Okay, well, that's great unless the person is milking the grip and they've got too much trigger finger in there, too little, and it's, you know, you're getting two separate causes that manifest themselves as one. So, that's one of the advantages of using a, a more seasoned instructor, Is they should hopefully have a little bit better diagnostic ability as far as picking apart those errors and um, overcoming them.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go academic nerd on you here, John. So you're you're going to be pleased. You know, if you look at Bloom's taxonomy and you know the levels of learning, the first one is just memorization and repeating back what you've remembered. And quite frankly, there are a lot of instructors out there that all they're doing is repeating back what they remembered for a class to pass a test or they're just reading it off the PowerPoint. They don't necessarily understand it and can analyze what they're seeing.
1: Well, and and that's what I think is important. One of the best checks to see if somebody's going to be a good instructor is when was their last recurrent training? Um, You know, the way I break this down is if I want to improve myself as a shooter, I go to an advanced class. So if I want to improve myself as a shooter, I'll go see Gabe White. There's all kinds of guys that can teach me high levels of technical shooting skills. If I want to improve as an instructor, I go take somebody else's basic class. Um, You know, what you're essentially doing is you're paying, you know, the basic classes are where they're really going to have to teach. And it could be that, you know, three ways to explain the exact same concept. But when you go to this other instructor, you pick up way number four. And when you visit another instructor, you pick up way number five. So that almost in some ways frees you of having to come up with all these great creative ways You go see people, you know, to be confident instructors, basically, you know, I I can't say steal because you have paid for the material, but you can accumulate the material fairly quickly. I would point out that one one of the things I'm kind of infamous for, and I think it pays off long term, is uh, I'm infamous for when I go to a class, I have a notebook and a pen. And I will write down not just an outline of the class like I was doing a review, but you know, if somebody has a really smart way of saying something, if you sit there and go, hey, I'll remember that later two days from now no no you're not write it down if it's that if it's that if it's worth remembering write it down file it away for later use
0: yeah i use the notes feature on my phone for that and that way i always have my notes from classes you know outlined and i can go back and look you know from instructor i've got like three different sections from spalding i got a section for you know several sections from givens i even got some guy named Hearn, um a uh, section for him when in my notes uh you know Murphy, a bunch of the other guys, and I can actually go back and scroll through the notes that I took from different classes. And even with that, you know, you can drop pictures of slides and stuff in with your notes.
1: Yeah, And your, your willingness to plumb the depths, the very low depths of instructors, I guess, shows how willing you are to expand your craft there. Cause that's a, that's a pretty broad array there.
0: Well, you know, it's, uh, I do it for the people so that they'll have to make good recommendations. Um, uh, One of the other things in Bloom's taxonomy is, you know, the ability to analyze information and to decide, you know, what is useful and what is not. And that requires that you're exposed to a lot of information. You know, if all you have is one source, you never really get past that remembering stage. You might get to the understanding stage. You might get to the application stage from that one source of material, but if you really want to start analyzing content, you're going to have to be exposed to numerous sources so that you can actually look at all of the material and start deciding what's best before you can actually start creating your own content.
1: Yeah. Well, it's that whole you know issue of analyze and synthesize. You know that right. that should be the route that you're heading. All
0: right. Uh, John, anything relating to this topic that you would like to bring up now that I failed to ask about?
1: Uh, nothing immediately comes up again. I can't emphasize how important it is to, you know, make sure the manipulations are squared away before you introduce the, uh, the live fire. I'll just, uh, just, you know, as a point here, uh, Gary Greco and I were talking about this and he pointed me to a great article in the Atlantic some years ago, because up until the women's uh, soccer team did, um, won the world cup. US soccer had always been very, very weak. And one of the things they talked about was Americans just have a different culture. So when we take our, when we introduce our kids to soccer, we immediately put them in leagues and they start playing. Whereas in most of the world, they don't start playing competitive soccer until late in their teens. What they do is they hang out in the streets, they learn how to manipulate the ball to get to go where it needs to, and they become intimately comfortable with the tool before they start to compete with it. And I think that uh, that's just a cultural hallmark of ours. We try to shortcut that process. Uh, you know, we don't want to see how many, we're like the owl in the old um, Tootsie Roll commercial. You know, we don't want to see how many licks it takes to get through. We just want to go ahead and bite it and, and grab what we need to. So it's just, if you want to be good at this stuff, you're gonna to have to physically change your brain, uh, like literally at the physical level. And that t- those changes uh, take time and repetitions. And uh, intent, uh, focus is the key uh, to drinking your brain to do that.
0: All righty, John, uh, if you would just rehash on where people can find you online.
1: So again, uh, two TWO pillars, P I L A R S training. Uh, the web, the URL, like I said, the, there's a Facebook page. There's a URL, we're on Instagram. Uh, I am slowly getting those rolled up. So if you're patient with me, uh, you can go to jhearn.com. That's uh, where you can find all the classes, register for classes, that sort of thing until I can get the, uh, the final website up. So again, that's jhearn.com. Uh, to register today for your great learning experiences.
0: Uh, I know that one of the uh, classes you have uh, deals with uh, anatomy. And folks, John didn't say this in his background. John was actually an EMT before he became a cop. So he does have a knowledge of this from both ends.
1: Yeah, I I delivered a baby when I was 17, which kind of gives you an interesting view on life.
0: (laughs) I've not delivered a baby, but I have delivered a horse and a calf. (laughs) And a calf and some puppies same 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 thing same thing all right um well i guess you and eric are now tied up two to two so uh you're both on the clock as to who can get the lead for the next one
1: so well, I, I think this is sheer genius on your part because by securing this competition what we're going to do is we're going to come up with topics we're going to say hey i want to talk about this you're just going to sit there and you're going to we're going to generate all this content for you as we do get out amongst ourselves so i have to give you credit for your sheer genius
0: well, I do have a master's degree in public administration, so I want to use the government of you know, principle of uh, I'm taxing your knowledge to generate content for me.
1: Or, uh, you know, develop conflicting parties and play them off against each other. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. That's how we get the Supreme Court rulings. Um, uh, our upcoming interview will be Brian Hill, uh, which we've got some good things planned for that. And then next week, we'll be interviewing Carl Wren. So uh, those are the next two topics coming up, and then we'll see which person gets back first John or Eric so uh, I'm looking forward to that Uh, again I am that weems guy for firstpersonsafety.com and thank you for your time